What up, Rail Split Nash? Hopefully uh, everything's going well and you're staying safe. This week we'll be taking a look at um, Lincoln in the news. again with another riveting edition of the rail splitter the abraham lincoln podcast and of course joining me from the great city of rockford illinois rail splitter jeremy hello rail split nation that was a heck of an introduction thank you nick uh we're doing well staying healthy all that good stuff so hopefully everybody's uh, gonna enjoy the show and uh, make the best of uh the current situations we're we're uh, dealing with so it's good to be here all right, nicely said. And then, of course, our neighbor from the north, from the great country of Canada, we have Rail Splitter Mary. Hey, Rail Split Nash, and thank you for that wonderful introduction. Well, you know what? You guys both deserve it, and you probably deserve better. Uh, 90s Bulls style, actually. We should get the intro <laughs> music going. So, straight out of northern Illinois, standing six feet tall. Jeremy Boys. What school did you go to, Mary? Uh, Goddard District Collegiate Institute. DDCI. We were the Vikings. All <laughs> right. From somewhere in Canada. <laughs> Mary. Uh, no, hopefully everybody's doing well. Um, so, yeah, we're back with another uh, edition here. So, the quarantine, the one thing it's been good for, it's uh, opened up our schedules. Well, I guess we're all kind of busy. We were just talking about that beforehand. Um, but we're it's a little bit easier for us to record weekly. So we got a little bit of a string going again. I don't know if we'll beat our original record. Uh, but yeah, we're putting them back to back. So today, um, this show might anger some of our listeners, actually. <laughs> uh, today, we are going to talk about kind of Lincoln, Trump, the parallels that exist, uh, comparing, contrasting, um, talking about that. And that kind of leads us to uh, this kind of rare. I'm starting with a review to start us off when we usually end with them. Our most, we're up to 71 ratings, by the way. Uh, all right. So, nice. So I would recommend you all taking, uh, hitting the pause button, rate us on iTunes. You know, some of you might have free time. That helps us uh, get more <laughs> listeners, spread the word. Uh, the bad news is this is a two-star rating. Uh, this was on Sunday from Brent. The 16th or the 45th POTUS, not sure which one they go on more about. So this has happened to us a couple times on our reviews. This has happened a couple times on Facebook. Um, Do we go on too much about Trump? I don't know. But I think right now it is relevant, Mm -hmm. Uh, especially with this week. I think the vast majority of the times it is relevant. I mean, history is who we are. It's who we are as people. Um, You know, something that happens in my childhood is impacting me at 39 years old. Um, We all have that. Um, And then when you look at American history, you have to look at the past to understand the present. So I understand people get fed up with it, get angry, but I'm not sure, you know, I I get what it is. 
I, I agree, Nick. Uh, I, I always think of, um, and sometime we'll probably do a few shows, a few more shows on Ken Burns' The Civil War, but um, Dr. Barbara Fields, and I believe it's in episode one, has the quote, history is not was, history is is. Um, you know, so there's really, um, I mean, it's fun to learn about history, you know, and, and there are some areas of history that are pure hobby and, and aren't about today, but more generally speaking, the whole purpose of being historians, those who are historians and is to help us like every profession and every calling is to help us live better lives and, and to help us know more about ourselves. Um, so I, if we're not drawing parallels to from then until now, I think we're, you know, as, as learners of history, not doing our job. So, um, you know, I don't want to get snarky and say it's our show, <laughs> but because um, our listeners are super important to us and that feedback is super important to us. But there are certain things that, that we as a group and I feel personally are important, and that's comparing history to today, um, particularly the Civil War. You know, there are maybe some elements of the revolution that are not quite as relevant. There's certainly, of course, the founding and the founding documents and the Constitution, all that stuff, of course, are. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, like I'm currently, I think I mentioned this on the show a couple weeks ago. I'm currently reading Ron Chernow's book on, um, John D. Rockefeller, mostly because I'm curious about it, but also because I feel like I can't complain about Jeff Bezos if I don't understand John D. Rockefeller, right? Like, I feel like you have to, you have to have a little bit of that historic knowledge about how our society got to where it is you know, to say like, you know, wealth inequality is a problem. Well, we can talk about that, but it's a much more rich, much deeper and more rich conversation if you can also talk about the legacy of that. So if we're going to talk about racism, if we're going to talk about abuse of power, if we're going to talk about the power of the press in in the 19th century, um, we also, I think, need to talk about now. So, yeah, I think, you know, if you just look at history as like an event in history, it's just entertainment. Um, to a point like if you truly want to educate uh, you know if you're in it to learn and educate yourself I think you have to compare it to the present and you gain more out of it that way and I'm not saying you know should a podcast be entertaining Uh, yeah maybe that's what some people are looking for and that's fine but I think all three of us want our podcast to be more than just mindless entertainment Mm -hmm. we want it to be something where we think about you know how does Lincoln compare to now Um, and I think that will lead to more thought, hopefully, from our listeners um, and then get them thinking more, which I think would be a bigger benefit. Um, and hopefully we're entertaining as we do it. So um, that's ultimately the goal there. Yeah. And uh, blending it for sure. Yeah. Like, like, is there this uh, academic um, discovery of, you know, analysis of now and making fun of Millard Fillmore? Not really, but it's still fun. <laughs> and, you know, we can still point that out. So like, we're trying to do more than one thing. We're not this highbrow, like, oh, let's come, you know, if you're not drawing parallels, you're not doing your job. No, have some fun, learn a little bit, learn some stuff about Lincoln. Um, but I do think that there is there is importance as a educator and as a former educator of history. I think that's, that's key. Mm-hmm. I, I think you have to, like, you have to have some fun with history to bring people into it. Um, you know, so for example, today, um, May 7th is the anniversary of when Sherman began his Atlanta campaign. I did a few tweets about it. And the the first tweet I did, I ended it off by saying, George is about to get lit. 
you know, throw a little bit of humor in there about it. But still, I was telling people, you know, who the commanders were on both sides and and all that. But but two, it's also got to tie back into what's happening in the modern day. And I think what we saw, I guess it was week and a bit ago with Trump being interviewed at the Lincoln Memorial, like how could you not start discussing Lincoln because of that? And it has resulted in articles that are talking about Lincoln. And maybe there's some people out there that don't know as much about him. Well, now they're going to learn about him again. So that's just why it's important to like to keep that kind of flow. Like you have to discuss the modern day, compare it to the past to, to keep learning about it. Right. And I do think there's a little bit to be said about like, I get all that, but does it always have to be about the current president? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and like, cause I mean, really look at, and there, I don't believe there's any era, era of history that you can't draw a line to or from the civil war and Abraham Lincoln mm-hmm. specifically anything um, specifically our history with race and racism. Um, but I mean, you look at, at, at every significant turning point or event in history since then, there's, there's definitely a comparison. Some of them are looser than others. Um, but like, you know, the fact that not only did Dr. King's, I have a dream speech happen at the Lincoln Memorial, it was um, structured similarly to the Gettysburg address mm-hmm. and referenced him specifically, you know? So like, it's not just uh, students of Lincoln who want to, put him into everything it's he's 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 woven into our identity i believe as at least as americans or as students of history and that's you know no disrespect to our friends in canada no, um but like you know lincoln is woven into our identity i think in many ways or at least me as a as a white male american he's woven into to my identity in many ways yeah i think he's very much a part you know like a, a lot of canadians know who he is like I mean, Lincoln is very worldly. He's he's international. You know, you have people in England, Germany, all that who who know who he is. And I mean, I have a friend from Germany. She goes every year to the Lincoln Forum in, in Gettysburg. She's done that for years now. And he's very international. Yeah, and then I mean, at the end of the day, Lincoln. Uh, I mean, Trump did put him straight in the news. I mean, Trump mm-hmm. decided that he wanted to give a speech on fox on sunday i believe it was sunday mm-hmm. um and it was right at the feet pretty much of lincoln memorial and i was reading about it, like the actually film dialogue in the lincoln memorial is pretty much impossible unless you can obviously have obviously being the president he was able to get away with it but um like to be able to film dialogue in the memorial and use it like if they don't give that approval um very rarely i was reading about so it's a big deal there and then on top of that, Trump did make a direct comparison to himself and Lincoln. And being that we are a Lincoln podcast, I mean, we would be doing a disservice not to talk about it this week. So maybe some past weeks, maybe it wasn't relevant and it did come up and you have an argument. This week, I don't see how you could argue with us. It was straight out there in the news. Newspaper articles started getting uh, put out there mm-hmm. directly drawing and comparing contrasting Trump versus Lincoln. And that's basically what we're going to take a look at here. Um, And Mary came across these articles first here. And we're going to start off with an article from a Lincoln scholar. Uh, Mary, I'll go ahead and let you introduce the article, where it was at, um, and kind of summarize it for us. All right. So this one is written by Harold Holzer, who I'm pretty sure all of Real Split Nation knows who Harold Holzer is. And it's called Schooling Trump on Lincoln, who actually got worse press. So when Trump was being interviewed, um, he said he was treated worse than President Lincoln 
And Trump said, I am greeted with a hostile press the likes of which no president has ever seen. The closest would be that gentleman right up there, he added, pointing to the statue of Lincoln. And that's what um, Holzer writes about in his article. And Holzer argues that Lincoln, unlike Trump, he responded differently to the press and the criticism that he received. And Holzer says that during one social event at the White House, Lincoln overheard a guest complaining that the press was had become unreliable. No, the president interrupted. Newspapers were indeed reliable. That is, he added ruefully, they lie and then they rely. <laughs> so he brought Lincoln's humor into it. Um, but the whole article is just talking about how Lincoln dealt with these press attacks and he got a lot of them. And I don't think a lot of, I don't think many people realize like how under attack Lincoln often was by the press. And, um, Holzer also says, but unlike Trump who, who loves portraying himself as a victim, Lincoln did more than whine until he entered the white house. He wrote pseudonymous newspaper editorials, attacking opponents. When he won the presidency in 1860, he rewarded many friendly editors with foreign and domestic federal jobs. And then, um, like, Lincoln did not allow all the criticism he received to go unpunished. So Holzer talks about how he declared emergency powers to combat the rebellion, and he administered a hard crackdown on papers that discouraged men from, like, he came down on papers that were discouraging men from enlisting in the Civil War. And... Um, he also said that, like, unlike Trump, Lincoln never let the personal attacks bother him. I have endured a great deal of ridicule without much malice, he mused, and have received a great deal of kindness, not quite free of ridicule. So Holzer's basically saying, like, Lincoln took it, whereas Trump is not. Well, yeah, I, and I think that that's, that's very indicative of who they are as people, but mm -hmm. I think one... One thing that I think is important to note, or a few things that are important to note is, one, why does everything have to be a superlative and why is it some sort of competition? Mm -hmm. Like he's saying, like, I'm the worst or the best. At, there's no yeah. in between. I'm either the worst at this or the best ever. This is the best economy. I've given you the best economy that's ever been created. I, no one's ever been treated as poorly as me. When really what he's exposing is his own complete ignorance to history not necessarily just the history of the presidency, but the history of journalism. Because if you look at, at the history of journalism, when the Bill of Rights put in the freedom of the press, it wasn't really the same, it wasn't even close to the same type of what we would call journalism now. I don't even know if it would qualify because there's not like, investigative journalism wasn't really a thing. Like you're not seeing exposés necessarily it's not really news as much as everything it was was very much commentary a lot of editorializing you literally chose your publication based on your views like now it's kind of unspoken that there are conservative and liberal media outlets but at the time it was like declared um you know this is the democrat paper whatever whatever you know um and in lincoln's time it was no different lincoln wrote Articles for a paper under a pen name, Sangamo, many times. Completely, shamelessly partisan, bashing people, calling names, you know, all kinds of stuff. And it was it was pretty cutthroat, but everybody kind of understood that. But when you look at the history of journalism, I think you have to look at 
the whole thing. Like you have to look at yellow journalism around the turn of the century where it was very much fake news, intentionally fake news. Not we got it wrong, but we intentionally got it wrong to create a narrative that we want to create all the way up through today where, you know, you have, you know, very important media outlets who serve a purpose of informing the people in a way that they've evolved into over time to now where it's better than it's ever been. It's much more, you know, a profession where facts matter and there's, and you have to have reliable sources, you know, like it's much more of a, um, the medium is just much more informed and it's, there's just much more of a base to it. So like what he is calling fake news is not fake news was a thing. And it, and it's so weird to me how like that emerged as an idea mm-hmm. from literal fake news. Like there were literally stories that were gaining traction on social media or from artificial. So like they were intentionally and explicitly fake and people thought that they were real well, and gave them traction. Like it was a thing and he completely co-opted the phrase and now it means something else. Well, I think we're kind of interesting time because we do have a lot of fake news that's out there through social Mm -hmm. media, like legit, like false sources, like trying to mislead you through Twitter. Social media is where it got the biggest home more than any place. But then on the flip side, we have like kind of like almost like this golden age of journalism taking place, too. You know, when you think back to like the like the Me Too movement stuff that came out to some of the stuff, the Post and the New York Times are doing and investigating journalism that's happening. I mean, it's on parallel with the muckrakers back in the day. And then, yet we have social media, which is on par with yellow journalism. It's kind of like this crazy time where we have, like, both things are running rampant. And that's why it's more important than ever for us to be conscious of where our news source is coming Mm -hmm. and think about it a little bit more. It's almost like the – I I don't know. It's It's kind of a weird dynamic that we have both sides running rampant out there in these different areas. I mean, you think with all the technology we have now that we would have the most reliable news in the world, but it seems like, you know, all you hear about is fake news. Whereas in the civil war, like for instance, I'm reading Southern storm by Noah Andre Trudeau and, uh, like in the book Sherman's getting he's pretty much on the outskirts of Atlanta well just before that there was like a newspaper article released in Virginia saying that he basically was not going to make it that the rebel army had him which was there was no founding for that at all which at the time when you know when I read it I thought okay that's typical like because they would be going on rumors whatever they heard whereas and then I started thinking like well today we seem to have more fake news than what they had back then. But it was understandable why they did. They didn't have the technology, but we've got this technology. It shouldn't be a thing. Well, I, and I think the difference is, well, volume is a huge thing. Like yeah. we have, there's such a huge volume of media that we consume daily mm-hmm. versus, versus when you had, depending on where you were located, you know, two or three options. Yeah. But I, but, but that, that ability to discern what is reliable and is not is a skill that I think people overlook. And it's very simple to, to see like what's what piece of news media has reliable sources is from a reliable outlet um, makes sense. Like this whole idea that the entire media is this giant conspiracy 
for seemingly no motivation other than to, to control everybody's mind that like, you know, and, and it's coming out hugely with these, these conspiracy theories around the pandemic saying that it's fake and that it actually, that no one's actually dying. And that all, you know, all it was the pandemic people. And like, you get one person who has the title of doctor saying that it's not real and saying like, see, the media is ignoring this because of course, journalists know how to vet their sources and they, and they know who's qualified to talk on it. Um, and, and they look at all of this, you know, all the resources we teach our learners to be discerning and to look at, okay, where is this coming from? And somehow those skills go out the window for a lot of people where they say like, Oh, you're just going to trust the news. Like you're stupid for doing that as opposed to saying like, not inherently, but I do my homework enough to know like this, this is a reliable source. Like it's coming from an outlet that's reputable and someone who cites their sources. And it's probably good to see like, in the past, they've actually issued a retraction. So even if they do accidentally get it wrong or more details come to light, they'll correct it as opposed to steadfastly saying, like, anything the media tells you is wrong because we're going to ignore all evidence that supports their argument and only look at evidence that supports this conspiracy, which is like these coincidences like, oh, like, you know, how does all of these people die? No one talks about it or whatever. So, yeah. I think at the end of the day, I think Trump's era, Lincoln's era, every president has had, you know, news coverage they didn't like that they had to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think probably the vast majority have probably all done some things that we would maybe go, I don't know if that's the best way to handle it. You know, you had Trump base. I mean, uh, Lincoln pretty much like shutting down papers, um, you know, basically using war powers to really limit people's voices. But I think the big difference in, Obviously, yes, everybody's had bad press, no matter how great your approval ratings have been um, at some point, and everybody tries to spin it. But to me, the biggest difference between Trump and Lincoln is kind of how they use that bully pulpit when talking about it. And that gets towards the end of the article there. Mm-hmm. And Mary, I'll let you take it from there. Um, so at the end of the article, Holzer says that the, wor- the words of Lincoln's second inaugural, delivered in 1865 after enduring 30 years of unrelenting mockery in newspapers, are among those inscribed on his memorial. With malice toward none, with charity for all, let us bind up the nation's wounds. One hopes Trump noticed that phrase before the Fox TV news lights flickered off. Trump has shown his ignorance of history by likening his press criticism to Lincoln's. Let us hope he doesn't start reading about how Lincoln responded. To me, it's that bully pulpit where Lincoln used it to unite people, mm-hmm. try to bring people together, um, you know, where Trump just uses it to gaslight everybody, divide America. And that's, to me, the biggest difference of how they use the media. And and the thing that frustrates me and causes me to lose sleep at night. Um Yeah. Well, I think we're seeing, you know, the the virus changes things on a daily basis. Like I know here in Ontario, for example, like last Monday, we were given what was called, quote unquote, a roadmap for reopening the province. And then a few days later, it was announced there was going to be more businesses that were opening and it was totally unexpected. And then today we found out that, you know, some major surgeries can can start resuming at our hospitals it, it's just it's it's all over the place and it's all over the place in the u.s too but with trumpets like it changes so much 
And I think it was the same in the Civil War. Like, Lincoln was dealing with constant changes. But it's how the leader responds to those changes and how they deal yeah, with the press. I think, yes, I think it's how the leader responds to, to everything. Yeah. You know, I mean, and that's, I think that's really where we're seeing a fundamental difference. And I think that the comparisons to the press are an example of just the vast difference in character you're seeing from 16 to 45. You know, Lincoln was, you know, you talk about toughness and how he's so, how the current president says he's so tough and, you know, this, this idea of the snowflake and everything, like this is a person who cannot handle criticism from anyone at all ever. Mm -hmm. Like, like, like he's, he like, he essentially is like tattling on the media for being mean to him because he just can't take it. You know, like you have somebody who, you know, I can't believe I'm about to say it, but somebody who's been as dignified, at least as a former president as George W. Bush, who like sends a message out about unity and how coming together, we're stronger when we come together. And um, the one thing we share is our, potential and our vulnerability in God's eyes or something I'm paraphrasing, but it's very similar to that. And the current president responded by calling him names and saying he didn't stand up for him when he was impeached. Like, this is the idea of like anyone who like you, you get one strike with him and he's, he's just so weak and fickle. And I think the, his relationship with the press is that, you know, is the best example of that. Like, mm-hmm. you know, Lincoln and Lincoln, of course, you know, he was human too. And he, you know, took things personally and too harshly, I'm sure as well. And of course his reaction to the press um, can be, and Nick mentioned it, him, you know, shuttering some, you know, limiting the freedom of the press for outlets that were against him. I think the difference is he did that. And I don't think it was the right thing to do. I think it was very wrong as far as freedom of the press goes, but he did that in the interests of the war not out of interest of his own ego. Like he wasn't shutting people down as a personal vendetta or saying like, you're, you know, you said something bad against me. I'm going to control the media by shutting you down. He's thinking like the public opinion of this war at this stage is so vital that it's, it's essentially another battlefront. If we lose support for the war, we lose the war. So this is a battle that I'm fighting. And you know, one of the unnecessary or unfortunate casualties of that was part of the freedom of the press uh, I don't think it was right but I think that that's why he did it it certainly wasn't because his feelings were hurt mm-hmm. you know and he didn't like retreat to his corner and you know whine about it um, any more than I think would be a you know uh, a reasonable degree of, of you know shame or hurt I think if he did it was you know a very human response like this one article I found written in 2013 from the Atlantic um, said that um, the con- like his so Mary said that the constant attacks upon him caused him great pain. At times, after reading salvos like Henry Ward Beecher's, Lincoln reportedly would exclaim, "I would rather be dead than as president than thus abused in the house of my friends." Lincoln would often respond to the flood of naysaying with a weary wave of his hand and say, "Let us speak no more of these things," which is a very human way to respond. But he mm-hmm. didn't throw people under the bus or anything i mean you look at the way he was tweet or like treated by stanton in cincinnati you know with stanton basically ignoring him during that entire trial to stanton becoming his secretary of war yeah i think that that's that's one of the elements of lincoln's character that is so admirable is um him not holding grudges him not taking things Mm -hmm. personally or if he did let it go you know i mean 
and I think that there's so many examples. Seward and Stanton, like you mentioned, mm-hmm. are the best examples. Both of them were just terrible to him. Um, and, and many politicians, but especially the current president, would have completely written those guys off mm-hmm. and filled the cabinet with sycophantic, you know, people who were probably unqualified. Rick Perry, for example. Um, ben Carson. You know, um, uh, best, Betsy DeVos probably is the best example. Um, but, he, but Lincoln saw what they had to offer not only politically, but with their skill, talent, everything else, and was able just to say like, who, who cares? <laughs> you know, so yeah. he called me an ape, whatever. Seward, you know, Seward acted like most people would have in that situation where they felt that they deserved the nomination. You know, like, um, I think, you know, him saying with malice toward none was not a cliche or not this like throwaway feel good statement. He believed it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that, especially at that point in his career and his life, I think it's so indicative of who he was as a person to, to say, like, I am not going to hold grudges against anybody. All of these people who literally just fought a rebellion to get, you know, rid of us and whose ultimate goal was our destruction to treat them without malice and to treat them with charity, which doesn't mean charity like we think of it with money, but with with grace and mm-hmm. with kindness, you know. Um, I think that shows more of who he was and paints such a drastic, drastic contradiction between the current president. Um, I do think also that this whole episode of him saying like, I'm, I'm the worst treated other than Lincoln is, is essentially him just thinking like at one point, somebody told him that Lincoln was treated poorly by the president, him hanging on to it. I honestly think if you really got into a conversation with anybody, about any of the nuances or not even the nuances, but any facts about Lincoln's life, you would know next to nothing. Um, and, and, and pardon me if I offend anybody, but I've yet to come across somebody who refers to him as old, honest Abe that has any sort of knowledge of Abraham Lincoln at all. <laughs> you know, that's like such a, like a little kid book factoid that you pulled out of your coloring book when you're, you know, of a log cabin or something, you know, like nobody calls him old, honest Abe. That was, you know, whatever. If you're going to use it, anything, call him the rail splitter. Um, but you know, I mean, I don't. I really don't think he has any sort of understanding of Lincoln's upbringing, Lincoln's values, Lincoln's policies, Lincoln's procedures, Lincoln's strategies, the Civil War, the nature of the Civil War, our legacy of enslavement, um, how he benefited, how we all have benefited. People who look like me have all benefited from enslavement, whether we like to admit it or not, whether our ancestors were here in Europe or not. Um, there's just so much to it that I don't think he ever would care to understand. But for him to say, like, Lincoln and I share the same amount. Like, he, you know, he had as much, you know, hardship as I did. Well, like, he gave the ultimate sacrifice. Yeah. How could anybody have had it worse? Yeah. You know, the fact that the way he used the Lincoln Memorial, I mean, he literally used it for a virtual town hall. Yeah. Like, if he knew anything about Lincoln, he would have used that setting to give a a speech to bring the country together to honor the 70,000 or whatever we're at now, people that have passed away in this. That's how you use the Lincoln Memorial uh, is to do that and to start to bring people together. And he used that setting for a freaking virtual town hall where he then actually tried to you know persuade the viewers to think that he's been treated worse than Lincoln. Um, which is mind-boggling. That it was just a complete misuse of the setting, 
And all it really did for him was just leave more ammunition out there to bring up more of his flaws and more of his mistakes. It was such a terrible move and dumb. I mean, the people who probably liked it already support him. Like, he got nothing out of it. Oh, he got nothing out of it. It was a complete waste of a setting. And he could have done so much for himself from a political standpoint. And even just from take politics out of it, just bringing the country together. If he went up there, mm-hmm. laid out the roadmap, we're going to do this. Why are we going to do this? You know, to honor the 70,000, we're going to try to reduce as much as we can. Just a complete botch. I mean, it's embarrassing. Yeah, it, it was something that was like my mom messaged me because my father apparently had it on the TV at their place. And she was like, did you see where Trump's being interviewed? And she sent me like this screen cap of it. And I was like, oh, <laughs> she asked me if I was watching it. And I said, no, I'm not. You know, he's going to you think of Lincoln Memorial, you got the positives, you know, Martin Luther King, some other speeches that have been done there. And then you got the negatives. You got crazy Nixon out there at 5 a.m. talking to protesters. And then that's where that's where Trump's going to put himself right there in the Nixon camp. You know, crazy old Nixon Mm -hmm. early in the morning, late at night. And if that's what he wants to be, you know, that's fine. So that's exactly what I thought when I heard he was going to the Lincoln Memorial that's what I thought. The first thought was of Nixon. Yeah. That's right where my mind went was Nixon. But then seeing these articles that have come out, you know, the one thing that the silver lining that I'm trying to take away from it is that maybe it will spark somebody into reading a little bit more about Abraham Lincoln. I guess I feel like a new movie about Lincoln would be more likely to do it. But there was a CNN article had one, too. Did you want to talk about that one at all, Mary? Yeah, that one was written by Brad Meltzer and John Mensch, who are the co-authors of the recent re- recently released The Lincoln Conspiracy, The Secret Plot to Kill America's 16th President and Why It Failed. And I think it's about the Baltimore plot. So it's a very recently released book. And I've read um, Brad Meltzer's books before. He writes historical fiction, and they're excellent. Um, kind of along the lines of like Da Vinci Code stuff, but um, he's still a very good um, author. So their article that they wrote together is called Trump, Stop Comparing Yourself to Lincoln. <laughs> Which they put it right out there. And they talk about, um, you know, what happens at this town hall and just that no president in American history faced more fury at a time of crisis than Abraham Lincoln. And that is one thing that we've been seeing a lot of articles about, too, um, is just how Lincoln dealt with crisis, because we're going through a crisis right now and we're watching how world leaders are dealing with it. Um, So they talk about how Lincoln got, you know, how he was treated by the press and um, things that happened during his election and just that he, like, Lincoln ends up ultimately evading these assassins in Baltimore and finds out he's going to be assassinated by, you know, pro-Southerners. And he ends up making it to Washington safely, obviously. But the Charleston Mercury called him cowardly and undignified for running from his own killers. Um, and then several days later, with Nation at an all-time high, with national tension at an all-time high, Lincoln delivered his first inaugural ad- address. Um, and then even in that speech, they talk about how Lincoln showed no spite. And he just pleaded with America. 
saying, we are not enemies but friends, though passion may have strained it, it must not break our bonds of affection. And then we all know the, you know, better angels of our nature that he said in that. But the article basically talks about how, you know, just like, don't compare him to Trump. Like, he's not, he's not the same as that. And they say in the end Lincoln would always take the side of hope over hatred he would always appeal to the best in Americans not the worst and he did so without conceding his principles and um, they say honesty humility selflessness during a time of hatred and rage Lincoln took the side of the better angels under his leadership America didn't just survive the civil war it became a better nation through struggle Today, as we face our own crisis as at a time of division and yet with another contentious election on the horizon Trump should stop comparing his press coverage to Lincoln's and instead start modeling Lincoln's leadership. I don't know if we're going to get that. <laughs> well, and that's, I'm a, and we could probably do a whole episode on that, but I'm a huge, huge, uh, I don't want to say fan. I don't know. I love the idea of looking at the better angel of our, of our na- the better angels of our nature line from the first inaugural and with malice toward none, from the second inaugural as bookends of Lincoln's presidency. Mm-hmm. And, and, and and if you if it's possible to summarize a person in just, you know, two small things that they've said in a lifetime, I think those this is one example where you can do that. Um, because it, and it's also it's not just a good turn of phrase. Looking at what he's talking about where he says we are not enemies but friends, we must not be enemies. No passions of strange and will not break our bonds of affection. And then he says, when when we're touched as surely they will be by better angels of our nature, like looking at our common shared humanity and used looking at that as what, what brings us together in a time of, you know, um, on the basically civil war had essentially started, secession had started. He's saying like, we will, we will appeal back to what's the, what is the best in all of us and see how we're all together and we'll come back together. And, and then of course he finishes that. I don't want to say thought, but he kind of finishes that idea over time with, with malice toward none. Now that we have been touched by the better angels of our nature, we must now act with, without malice and, 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 and forgiveness and grace and bringing these people in like that just idea is just so vacant now. Like the fact that, our current president relishes the fact that he can separate people into friends and enemies. And if you are not his friend, you are absolutely his enemy. And people who are in his party are not immune to that. You're either an enemy or a friend in that. And that is, is temporary as anything. You get one strike. Um, and he's, you know, I mean, he's going after very popular former presidents. He's going after popular people in the party. And, um, and I think at the end of the day, it's hard to blame him because of the support that's around him. Like there are some, I think, decent human beings that have supported him in ways that are inexcusable. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot there. I just, I think Lincoln at the end of the, the biggest difference is Lincoln was thinking nation. Trump thinks personal. Mm-hmm. You, you just see it in the actions. You see how he deals with people. It's he, he's just. I mean, I don't know. I have no confidence that he ever once makes a decision for the nation before his own personal well-being at all. Um, and I just think you could see that. Like 
you know, Lincoln definitely his things evolved, but it was always evolving for the nation. You yep. know, uh, he, he didn't want to necessarily have the Civil War. He's trying to keep it there positive, but that happens in emancipation. He's trying, you know, he always had a positive message, mm-hmm. a hope we're going to come out of this better type attitude. Yes, and that's what you need in a time of crisis. Yeah, that somebody, and- somebody's going to be honest. Somebody who has a vision to grow from this. And what does Trump want to do? He wants to go backwards, backwards, backwards. His whole campaign was to go backwards. This is to go backwards. Mm-hmm. I mean, to me, how is how could you be an effective leader when your whole vision, your whole argument, your whole stance is to go backwards? I, I just don't I, I don't understand it. Sorry, it's, Mary, I cut you off. No, no, that's okay. I actually that's a great point what you said. Um I was gonna say, you know, just watching the press coverage from the United States versus what's happening in Canada. I I see, I don't know, maybe because I'm viewing it from another country. I, I just see it as being more fear-mongering from the, the federal level. Um, whereas here in Canada, we have, like, you know, Justin, which it's funny, like, we... <laughs> Most of us just refer to our Prime Minister Trudeau as Justin, and we know who we're talking about. Um, you know, Justin usually gives us a daily address, and it, it's, you know, he, he tells it like it is, the reality behind it. But it's also got a lot of hope. And the leadership that he's displayed, and even the leadership that a lot of our premiers, which are basically like our governors, have displayed, especially um, mine here in Ontario, Premier Ford, you know, the leadership is a lot like Lincoln. They're telling us how it is, but there's hope. And there's been no really, I've never felt scared because there's been no fear mongering and stuff is not changing. I mean, it changes, but it's not what I see in the United States, which I I feel like I'm criticizing, but I I don't want it to come across like I, no, I, I am criticizing. Like I don't want to say like my country is better than yours because I've got a leader that is dealing with it in a better way. But it's been, you know, it's given me like I will watch Trump's press conferences and I'll think I'm so glad I've got Justin. Mm-hmm. You know, his fear mongering is so weird because the fear mongering is not the people dying. He's almost like created this point where people are just swiping down underneath the rug. Like literally seventy thousand mm-hmm. people died. As many people who died in like the ten plus years in Vietnam have died in two months. We slept out underneath the rug and the fear mongering is all about the dollar. Yeah. Not about life's <laughs> loss, which is crazy. The thing that's baffling to me though is this is like this is a tailor made opportunity to be a hero. Like it is not even hard. Like, look at George W. Bush after 9-11. Like, he, like, everybody loved it. Like, he emerged as, like, we've, we, he's talking he about resolve. So he's good. talking about patriotism. We're all waving flags. Party went out the window. Everybody got behind him. He pushed through the Patriot Act, which was a steaming load of shit. But, like, everybody was like, our, let's do this. Like, we need to protect our freedom and, like, all this other bullshit, like, that I disagree with wholeheartedly. But at the time, it was like, yes, like, this is America, damn it. You can't do this. And, like, this is an opportunity. This is Trump's Pearl Harbor. This is Trump's 9-11, and he doesn't get it. And he's still treating he's treating this just like he would have treated his tax cut. Like, if you're mm-hmm. not with me, you're against me. Like, he had every opportunity 
to 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 use platitudes, use whatever else, and it's all bullshit. And I get that, but like how he couldn't see the opportunity there to have the quotable moment, the flag waving moment that people just love, ensure him of reelection. This whole like, I mean, looking at FDR during rationing in World War mm. II, you could have played this whole thing up. You could have had literal propaganda about rationing and everything saved is a life saved and whatever, whatever. And he doesn't see it. Like hit, like everybody says he's the new kind of politician and he's so intelligent. He would have guaranteed reelection if he would have done that. There's a playbook for it. So in a way I'm glad he didn't because I think he's going to like, hope he's going to lose. But like, how do you not see that that's leadership? It's not like, but it's so about him. And that was a different, that's the difference between him and Bush, him and Reagan, yeah. him and, the Roosevelt's and certainly him and Lincoln, whereas Lincoln, and I don't think Lincoln was doing it from a popularity standpoint. His crisis was so big and he was in an era where reelection wasn't even a, a, a real option for for anybody, you know, if he hadn't done such a good job and the crisis wasn't so huge, but the way that Lincoln led through was he led us through it and used that as his political capital. Whereas Trump is trying to, and I haven't said his name in three years, and now I said it like four times. Um, but, but he's trying—he's trying to make it about him, and, and that's to me is just mind-boggling how he can't see it, and the people around him, I'm sure, are screaming at him like, "Use this as a moment. You have this." You know, he's talking about ratings during his press conference. Like, use that. Tell stories about people dying. Yeah. Humanize the problem. Talk about people who have lost loved ones. Make us care. Like, I care because I value humanity. But, like, bring that stuff out and he doesn't do it. And now it's becoming this hate-filled thing where mm-hmm. he's complaining about the press. He's complained more about the press than he's complained about 75,000 Americans dying. Yeah, that not, that's what I see, too. And, like, our, our leaders here are bringing, you know, they're talking about, they're giving examples. Like, you know, Justin will say, oh, and here's an example of so-and-so who's doing this in this province or whatever. But the one thing that I've seen is that, you know, whatever political party you're loyal to, is it's gone, you know, and I am, you know, I didn't uh, agree with a lot of what Premier Ford did before this, but he is getting us through this crisis and I'm setting aside everything else right now because we need to go through this crisis. And he hasn't been an ass about it. He's been... Mm-hmm. You know, he's I've gained a newfound I've gained a respect for him, which I, you know, I never thought I would. But, you know, three days into this crisis, when he I'd watched all his his addressing Ontario, um, you know, I said to my husband, I'm like, I'm glad he's the one leading us through this. It doesn't even take much. Like, no. it's like me, I dress like a slob at school. All I have to do is tuck in my shirt one day, and everybody's like, holy crap, you're dressed up. That's literally all <laughs> Trump has to do is tuck in the damn shirt. Well, yeah. Give a, give a speech where he talks about people. He looks like he cares. If he did it in front of the Lincoln, use Lincoln. I mean, if you want to be, you know, political about it, use Lincoln to your advantage. Do it at the memorial there. Um, but, yeah, well, I mean. And that's, to, you know, and I, at a very, very low level, I'm I'm a leader, I suppose you could say. And like, and Nick and I have talked about this before, where like we talk about struggles that we have in just in our small organization with leadership. And a lot of times people say like, oh, you guys do such a great job when things go badly. 
like when we have a staff, you know, we've got a lot of staff members. Sometimes people, you know, we've had cancer, we've had deaths. And everybody says, like, man, you guys do, you do such a good job bringing people together when tragedies happen. And I, and I, and I, and, I, and it's very important and, and we're very kind people, but like, that's easy. It's easy as a leader to say, let's all get together and comfort each other when this tragedy happened. Like, we lost somebody that was close to us. And everybody's like, man, that's leadership. It's not. That's so easy because it's so obvious. What's hard is, this is an unpopular thing that we have to do, or we need to make some changes, or we've got a job to do, you know, and it's just, education is just tough. But like this particular situation, there are a lot of challenges, don't get me wrong, but it's so easy to say, we're in this together. Mm -hmm. We need to lift each other up. We've all lost someone, you know, like that sort of leadership, I don't think is very hard. And it's pretty obvious if you have any shred of humanity in you to say, Together, collectively, we've lost loved ones. We've seen people hurt. We're all making sacrifices together. Let's lift each other up. Let's, you know, hold each other in this kind of shared experience. Like, how do you not see that? Like, how how are you so into yourself that you can't see, like, there's an opportunity here for me to emerge as a leader? And that's something that I think Lincoln, he didn't do a lot of because he didn't have to. Like, mm-hmm. it kind of did it on its own. But, like, he was able to use that to also accomplish a lot of things. Like, the biggest, of course, is the abolition. Like, this, the war wasn't about abolition, but he, he made the sacrifices that everybody was making worth a higher cause, worth a higher purpose. And it's because he was able to use all of that stuff. So, like, yeah, the press was mean to him. But if he fo- if he fixated on the press being mean to him, he wouldn't be able to say at Gettysburg, I can't take anything away or add to anything that they already haven't done. Like we can't add or detract mm-hmm. to the sacrifice that they made. They gave the last full measure of devotion. Make them not have died in vain. Like calling us all to a higher purpose. Like that is leadership to say like, you know, uh, it's tragic. Don't get me wrong, but, but, our economy, blah, 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 or whatever. Mm-hmm. Even if he said something that I would wholeheartedly disagree with, and I think would be the most callous and humane thing to say, but like, let's make these people have died for something that matters. And if it was the economy, which is bullshit, but if he said like, they shouldn't have died in vain, prosperity for this country is important. This lifestyle we've developed for ourselves is important, but he doesn't even say that. He basically just glosses over the fact that human life is gone saying like, the cause can't be worse or the, the cure can't be worse than the problem or whatever the hell it is. Sorry. I feel like I'm rambling a lot this week, but I'm fired up. No, no, it's okay. <laughs> and I mean, I, I mean, I completely agree with you. Like, I mean, Lincoln just, and I think, I think the difference is just, I mean, it, it shouldn't sound this simple, but it, it's like the personality thing. It's the ego thing. You know, Lincoln was confident in what he did, but he, he was humble and he had all the qualities that made him a great great leader. Like he had empathy. He, you know, was able to bring people into his cabinet that had insulted him, but he saw their talents. And like, whereas Trump just, for him, it's about numbers. It's about popularity. For Lincoln, it never was. And I, you know, I don't know. It just, it's, it's for me as a Canadian watching the press conferences I see with Justin, my leader, and then seeing Trump's, 
it's some it's sad sometimes i like i'll start kind of like la- laughing like i'm like is this really real <laughs> what know? else can you do i know Don't and go. and then i remember no this is real the one thing that i do find fascinating is that these protests against the restrictions put in place by the executive branch the current president are vast majority of those people are waving are are supporting him like they defy his orders while waving his flag because like he's co-opted hate into this it, it, you know he's got a monopoly on hate mm-hmm. right now I, I feel um whereas like you can say like you know like you know if you wear masks you're 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 bowing down to the man like well who do you think's telling you you have to wear masks it's the cdc which is part of the executive branch of the government headed by the president but he's embraced that somehow and said like yeah it's cool to defy my orders in this particular case because you support me if you didn't support me and we're not doing what i told you to do that'd be a totally different problem yeah whoever wrote that review is going to change it to a one star after this one (laughs) (laughs) no i think we're allowed to have episodes like this in this time because it's a very Mm -hmm. trying time for everybody and it's i mean we are seeing world leaders in how they deal with a crisis well, and, I think if you're a fan, and, sorry, I thought you were done. Oh, no. <laughs> so, um, so we're seeing them in how they deal with a crisis. And that is going to show their personalities. You know, like I'm watching Justin come out of his house every day and he's very calm, very collected, says something very, very eloquent, you know, watching Premier Ford every day. You know, again, it's calm, collected. It's quiet. Um, we're told what the situation is. We're given the reality behind it. We're told what the guidelines still are, but we're still, we're given a little bit more hope every day. And we've always had that hope that we're going to come out of this. Whereas, you know, what I'm seeing in America is like from the federal level, it is like, um, I don't know how to put this diplomatically, a shit show. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and Nick, I I know you were going to say something. I don't mean to cut you off, but like, I think that we're like in a, in 1862 of this issue yeah like time you know with the media cycle time frame shrink but like lincoln of course you know as we head into the civil war you know his popularity was was what it was but like it it was at its lowest the bottom had fallen out of the tub in 1862 like leadership in a crisis at the onset is a lot easier than when you're two months in Mm -hmm. you know like when we first got into this you know, I think everybody was like, yeah, we were going to do this. We're all in this together, you know, and now it's just like the, the, the pressure to open up, quote unquote, open up the country is getting big. And like, like it started the support for all these things. This whole we're in this together thing is starting to wane. Like we need leadership. We need somebody to bring us through and to focus on the purpose and focus on everything and to remind everybody why we're doing this, where it's getting more and more difficult. And I'm afraid it's going to slip away from us. Because this is where it's hard. This is like Lincoln had to, it would have been easy for Lincoln to say like support for the war is at an all time low battlefields going terribly. We're losing battles. I can't find a general to lead in the East. You know, like if we just let the South go right now, would it, you know, we'd save a lot of lives. Would it be the end of the world? You know, enslavement would still exist. Is that an option? Like, where he was at that point is similar to where we are now, where I think we're at a bit of a turning point where are we going to stay committed to what we need to stay committed to in order to save lives? 
or are we going to let it go because it's getting tough now? Like it's really getting tough. Like we're looking at long-term economic impact. Mm-hmm. We're looking at long-term unemployment. We're looking at more businesses being impacted by this. We're looking at tax bases and impacting government jobs. Like this is really where it's getting tough and where we really need leadership and maybe even some new ideas similar to where Lincoln was in 1862. And he was able to inject leadership and life into the support for the war aided by arguable military victories. And then of course you get into 1863 and in July where the the tide turns and and it, it becomes apparent that if we stay the court, not stay the course, but continue with the war that, that the union is going to win once we get through July of 1863, largely. But like, think about where we were in 1862, the, where the union was and where Lincoln was. No way he would have been reelected if the election happened in 62. Mil- you know, war is going terribly, very little support. You know, enlistments are down. It's very hard. You know, he's got to institute the draft, all these other things. And, that, and I think that's where we are now from a leadership standpoint. Like the initial, you know, rah, rah, let's go. We're going to go f- join the cause is worn off. Now it's like, why are we really doing this? I'm getting sick of being around, you know, the same four people, whatever, you know, and it's getting tough, you know, it's, it, it, and I think that's where I think we're really going to see where the difference in leadership from people like Lincoln versus people like our current president. And sorry, Nick, I, I didn't mean to. I know you were saying something. No, you're fine. I was just going to say, I I think, especially Americans, as Americans, if you're a fan of Lincoln, I think it's part of our responsibility to demand and find our next Lincoln. Mm -hmm. And we need to do that as individuals because there's leaders and then there's heroes. To me, you know, the heroes for Lincoln that he was leading were the soldiers who were fighting the war, the abolitionists that kept that issue on the table. That's what we need from the American people is we need people out there demanding stuff, not demanding opening up. What those people should be demanding, if you're going to do that, is demand more direct relief from the federal government. That's what the people need. That's what we at the people should be demanding out there. So we as individuals have a role to play this as well. You know, the president is only, you know, we have we need to do a better job demanding a higher quality leader than what we have done, um, especially here recently. And we need to continue to put that political pressure because let's be honest, if there was political pressure on these Republicans, they would not be backing him. Hell, they would love probably their mm-hmm. polls to go the other way because you know that they talk behind closed doors that they can't stand him, that they you know, they laugh behind his back. If they had the political pressure, they would change. And so part of that falls on us as individual Americans and in America, that is, I'm speaking to um, in this as well. And not to get too far from the weeds. I believe. I agree with you 100 percent. I think that where we fall short is that I know personally that there are very good people who have conservative political views. Mm-hmm. I know several of them. Wonderful people. I believe that they are the difference makers right now because they are the ones who are complacent with our current leadership. They are, I believe they are the ones who need to say, this is not okay. And I am okay losing a generation perhaps worth of elections 
to get back to decency. And I think the like, because when you were saying we need this generation's Lincoln, I believe our generation's Lincoln was Barack Obama. Mm -hmm. He had a tragedy. He had a, I would even argue, a civil war, not a civil war level, but his version of the civil war, maybe a 9-11 level tragedy in his presidency. And he failed. And what I'm talking about are, are mass shootings. Like that was his crisis. And when Sandy Hook happened, when literal first graders and kindergartners were murdered and we weren't able, and he wasn't able to lead us to a point where that wasn't going to happen again was, I believe his failure. And I don't blame him at all. I blame the fact that we had an entire political party who could say, this is not the time to talk about gun control. This is not the time to talk about that. This is, this is one person. This is not the time to talk about mental health. This is not the time to talk about X, Y, and Z. Like, I think, and I think he would probably agree, obviously I'm not going to speak for him, that the failure of his presidency was getting that done. Because it's going to happen again. And it has happened again. So, like, why was that a failure? And I think it's because this polarization of a two-party system where there are two distinct parties, and if you're, you know, you're a rhino if you're not conservative enough, and you're, you know, whereas over, over on the liberal side, it's the moderates who seem to be doing better and like the, the, you know, the whatever extreme, whatever you want to call it, leftists are going to come, come over. But like the fact that that was the failure of our generation for that particular crisis, the crisis of the Obama administration, I would argue was not the economic downturn of 2009 or the housing crisis or anything like that. I feel it was innocent people dying in mass shootings and hate crimes in churches and in nightclubs mm. and in schools. So, like, why was that his failure? Was it a failure in leadership? And I would argue that it was not. Like, I don't know what he could have done from a leadership standpoint to lead us through that. So, like, that's where I'm looking at. Where are those compassionate people whose political views I disagree with who are going to say, like, this is not okay. I'm not willing to support people who are okay with saying that, these weapons which killed children are our human right. You know, so like that's where I think the difference is. So like Nick, I agree. Like we need this generation's Lincoln. I feel we had this generation's Lincoln and Obama. Um, or at least in my lifetime, I don't know a leader who was more Lincoln-esque. I think the reason you can't get anything done is because we take a dumbass approach to politics. Mm -hmm. We view politics as a sports team and we root for it and we vote down the ballot that way. And I think it's, I don't understand it. Like mm -hmm. to be that I'm a Democrat, I'm only voting Democrat um, no matter the times. And I've done that for 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years. It doesn't make any sense to me. Um, and I think politics are treated more like a sports team now. Like like the Cubs, you know, I think the Cubs have had some terrible teams, and they've had some terrible people on their team. Like, why why do we cheer for them? Because it's geographically, and that doesn't really make any logical sense. I've had this talk with Nick so many times. <laughs> it, well, it doesn't make logical sense. It doesn't. It doesn't. You're right. And then, like, politics, oh, I've always been a Democrat. I've always been a Republican, and you just vote that ticket, even when you know that Democrat is not going to be as good as a Republican or vice versa. That That is, I think, really the problem. And we've become more that way, more now than we've ever been. You know, people use the word tribalism, uh, but I, I view it as, like, fandom um, for these political parties. 
And I think the time's ripe, really, almost to get a third, get somebody out there to really shuffle that up right now um, and appeal to that. The problem is all the rules are against you, so you really need a one-of-a-kind person to do that. Yeah, do you think – and we are so far off in the weeds and I don't <laughs> yeah. even care anymore. Um, do you think – because, like, when you say the base – I feel like you're that that's refer. I feel like there's more of a base on the conservative side where like you have to appeal to the base, which I think is the group you're talking about. Like, I don't like Joe Biden. I'm going to vote for him because the alternative is awful. That's who like, I would be voting for. <laughs> like, I have voted for one Republican in my life. The coroner of our county did a great job. She was a Republican for many years. She retired. I continue to vote for her. Uh, that's the only Republican I've ever voted for. And it's not out of tribalism. It's because I've disagreed with every Republican who has come since. Um, you know, it's just because my values are aligned with more liberal candidates. I would vote for a Republican if they align with my values. My values aren't Democrat Party. My values are what they are. And I couldn't, and there are certain non-negotiables. Like I, like you could have almost all of them except for one, and I wouldn't vote for you. You can have almost all of them except for another, and I would. Um, but I think that the, the idea of a base, I think, is Nick kind of what you're talking about. Like that group is not going to move no matter what. I think the the fandom or the tribalism or the base has become so intertwined that these people who run, whether they're Democrat or Republican, back these issues that they don't personally believe in. Because yes. that's how they get elected. Like, it's all just a ploy. Where's my best chances to get elected? Like, you have people who grow up, I want to be a politician. And they go to the political party because that's the best chance I have to get in this position of power. And then, you know, when I, you know we need to make it towards more. It's become more of a, a door to greater opportunities. I mean. Yes. Well, like, you make a great point. point. How does like Obama's like they were interviewing Obama's former press secretary who now is like high up at United Airlines? Like, what the hell? How do you go yeah. from press secretary <laughs> to now all of a sudden being the dude who we talk to when we get news about United Airlines? Like that whole door, that lobbyist door that's been open, and I don't know how you blow it up. Um, like you almost need like. You need somebody like Trump, but the opposite belief-wise almost to blow mm-hmm. something up. You know what I mean? Like this crazy oddball that gets in, but who's in it for good, for the overall good of the country. I don't know. We're really spiring out of control. It, yeah, it, I mean, think it's, it's so... I, these are all so important points. I'm sorry, Mary. I didn't mean to, <laughs> to catch okay. up. But like, 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 you make a great point, though. Like somebody like I, I have no reason to ever run for office, but if I did, I wouldn't do it because – I live, my neighborhood is in a precinct of my city in a district congressionally, both state and federal, that a liberal of any sort will never win. So, like, if I want to run for office, I wouldn't do it because it'd be a waste of money. You know, so, like, yeah, unless I was like, I want to run for office, I will be, I could be elected potentially, I suppose, if I ran with these values, but I'm not going to do that because those aren't my values. Um, I think the biggest thing that goes to your point, Nick, is what the current president just said about the dictator in North Korea. He was rumored to be dead. Turned out he was okay. The president of the United States tweets, I, for one, am thrilled that he's okay. Good for him. You know, good luck or whatever. 
if Barack Obama had tweeted that or said mm-hmm. that or hinted at that, he would have been absolutely vilified by everybody on the other side of the aisle, including the current president. But the current president says it, and very few people on his side say a word. That's a problem. Because now you're saying like your values change based on who the person is. Our congressman in our area did tweet a disagreement of that. He said, I, for one, wish he was dead. He's pure evil. Mm-hmm. He's a Republican. He's in Congress. I disagree with him on a whole lot of things. Um, you know, whatever. He served our country. I'm grateful for that. I think he is a good person. I think his values are in the right place. I disagree with him on a lot of things. And I'm, I'm glad that he said that. But like so many Republicans who you know are like, what the f- this guy's a communist dictator and our so-called conservative president admires him and says these things like that's the example right there. And I would be a hypocrite if I didn't say the accusation against Joe Biden troubles me deeply. I'm struggling with how am I going to vote for him with this out there because it's a problem. Big problem. You know, a problem is an understatement. That's like, I don't mean to be crass with it. Like they're coy, like, there are things that he stands for that I disagree with. I don't want a moderate in the white house. I want a liberal in the white house, but like, so like I, I am also embodying that, you know, I am a hypocrite in many ways in that case, but I think that's a much more glaring example of you would have wholeheartedly disagreed with any Democrat that said that exact same thing. If Barack Obama said half the things that our current president says about Vladimir Putin, he would have been absolutely vilified, Mm -hmm. but you're okay with your guy saying it. That's where I think we have a problem. Barry, we'll give you the last word here. <laughs> okay. Um, I don't know if it's going to tie in to to anything, but I was just going to say, like, there is similar things that happen in my country, too. And, you know, most recently, we unfortunately had a mass shooting. In less than a week, we had passed legislation to ban semi-automatic rifles. And the Conservative Party was criticizing it. Something happened, and we reacted, and luckily we reacted quickly to it. But then you have people criticizing and saying it's not enough, or it's not going to do anything, or whatever. But it was something. Yeah, it's a step, and it's a step forward. It's a step. It's a step forward. It, it's no. you know, like listening to when Justin made his statement. You know, he looked right at everybody and said, "You don't need an AR-15 to kill a deer." Make it easier. (laughs) Yeah, that's what what make it easier. (laughs) Or how about just like if you do, you need a thorough and responsible background check. Yeah, that. Yeah, if you're. But yeah, there's you know know, there's there's and there's very much you know like I'm I'm not scared to admit this on the show. I am the first person in my family to ever vote for a Trudeau. Wow! Because of his father the family was absolutely vilified in my family. And when, you know, Justin ran, I was like, I like this guy. And I'm like, I, you know, remember voting for him and I'm like, I feel like such a rebel. You know, and he won and I was proud of it. And I made no secret of it, my family. See, that kind of, you know, and we've gone so far off, but like, I love that, that too. Like, and Nick, you're talking about tribalism, like, like my family on, on my mom's side is, is Irish and Catholic. Like we were Democrats. Why? Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> more because of the, like that, like you know, ancestrally the Irish Catholic made us more Democrat than the fact that we're like, well, we support universal health care and the women's right to our own body. <laughs> you know, like, nope, that has nothing to do with it. It's like, well, you know, FDR, my, you know, my, my great grandparents were farmers in the thirties and FDR had the new deal. And, and John Kennedy was, <laughs> was Irish and Catholic. So that's why we vote for Mike Dukakis. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. It was almost like in my family, it was like, you weren't to vote for them, the Trudeaus. And then it was mm-hmm. like, came along and i'm like eh, whatever fuck it like i'm gonna yeah. go like and then i had someone in my family say to me oh, i'm vo- in this past election i'm voting for him don't tell anybody and i'm like oh you rebel all right i've let the show get way out of control this is why i don't host often we've i think gone over the hour mark that already was, i'll take responsibility that is my fault. yeah we'll call this a special edition i think tonight <laughs> Um, but let's get to our weekly segments for the people, by the people. Who's got something? I do. Go I ahead. Also, I also do. Go ahead, Mary. Okay, so ours is a little bit maybe kind of out there for it, but the three of us were a guest on a podcast called History Hack a few weeks ago, and uh, the episode has yet to be released, but these two lovely ladies from Britain... They've done 62 episodes so far, and that's been since quarantine started. So, and they've got everything, British history, European history, you name it, it's on there. Um, You can find them on Podbean at historyhack.podbean.com. But we went on there to talk to them about Abraham Lincoln, and they're going to be doing a few other shows about American history. Um, So, shout out to those ladies for having us on. Uh, yeah, that was that was a ton of fun when we were mm-hmm. on that show. I really, really enjoyed it. They were fantastic hosts yep. and fun people and pretty damn smart historians or uh, students of history. So um, that was about as much fun as you could have with a massive time zone difference and a chat about American history with uh, a couple of folks from across the pond. So I hope uh, I hope that episode goes over well, not only with our listeners, but also theirs and, and whatever new ones we have uh, shared between us. Um, because, uh, yeah, they were, um, you know, I have a lot of respect for general history podcasts because ours is a specific history podcast. So, like, we know what we need to study up on and they need to study up on all of everything. Mm-hmm. So um, I have tons of respect for them and they're a very well run show. So that was that was fun. You got one, boys? I do, um, and mine's a little more general. Um, I, I'm sure many of you have been following the news here in the United States with what's going on, not with the virus, but what's going on in Georgia or what went on in Georgia. Um, tomorrow, I, and I've seen a ton of Lincoln people posting about this, which I am inspired by, um, but uh, I am a runner, um, sometimes more than others, but I've been having a good couple of years where I've been really active in running and in the running community. Um, Ahmad Aubrey uh, was murdered in February in Georgia by from for simply going out for a run. The entire running community is running in his honor tomorrow with hashtag I run with Maud. Um, and I know that there's a lot of people in the Lincoln community who are also doing that. Uh, one of, you know, I saw a couple of people posted, I'm not even a runner and I'm doing this. Um, 
But I don't want to get too deep into what happened, although other than to say that that he deserves justice, and I hope that it happens in Georgia. This is very much something like we've been talking about, where um, this murder seemed to be okay, at least for a while, and hopefully the justice will come. But I just wanted to give a shout-out for anyone who posts today when this episode drops on Friday, May 8th. Anyone who posts anything with hashtag I run with Maud, um, I'm with you. That's awesome. And hopefully um, we at least recognize not only that he deserves justice, but people like me, I can run any you know, on any street in any city in this country without fear of anything happening. Uh, people that uh, look like Ahmad and women don't have that same freedom and that sucks and it's and that needs to change so um along with many other causes in the running community for safety um this is one of them so all of you who are doing hashtag i run with my tomorrow you are awesome and uh i think that that's great that you're doing that and hopefully he'll get some justice yeah i agree with that mm-hmm. uh mine comes from karen thomas long on the facebook group i finished my quarantine puzzle which is a cool puzzle of lincoln However, great snakes. One piece is missing. Oh, I was just going to tweet that. I was not tweet it, but I was just going to say that as our um, This Week in Lincoln. Uh, oh, dang. I stole that. Um, <laughs> okay. We could use it because technically I did do my For the People, By the People to start the show with the review. So you want to use this for This Week in Lincoln? I think we should for This Week okay. in Lincoln, too. Yeah, it was really good. Dude, it's an awesome puzzle. I know uh, it's Lincoln. It's kind of like a montage of some of the more famous pictures of him yeah. and the Lincoln Memorial on the bottom. But man, everybody who does puzzles the worst nightmare losing the one piece. That's Karen. I hope you found it. Um, if your cat or dog ate it, you know, check uh, check their waste, um, and maybe you can clean it up and get it in there. <laughs> So, uh, anything else you guys have for the show, for the cause? No, I think we had a really great discussion tonight, and hopefully Real Split Nation will follow along with us. And we'll consider this a special edition episode, I think. (laughs) Yes, to our reviewers who badmouthed us uh, for talking too much about current politics, I apologize. Um, But yeah, it is what it is. Don't blame us. Blame Trump for giving the speech in front of Lincoln at his uh, the Lincoln Memorial because we did have other ideas to go with. Yeah. um, Until he did that. So it's Trump. It's your fault. And if you don't want to blame Trump, we could always blame that one person, Millard Fillmore. (laughs) <laughs> I thought you were going to say blame the Canadian and then I would just automatically apologize for it. This is the secret conspiracy theory. Miller Fillmore was Canadian. Uh, Buffalo, New York is close to Canada. It's pretty right close. I think we can start a conspiracy theory. Actually born right across the river, lake. Right across <laughs> the river, lake, bridge thing. <laughs> All right. Well, that's our show. Join us next week. We'll be back. And remember, uh, shoot, what's the line I usually say here? Oh, yeah, with Malice Tours Done and Charity for All.